Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, and welcome to episode 69 in the Office 365 Dev Show. Hi, Rich. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing today, JT? I am getting there. I am so glad to be sitting behind my desk in Redmond. Although it is rainy here, I really don't care because I'm sick of airplanes and hotel rooms. I am right there with you. Uh, I'm home myself and done done traveling for a few days at least. <laughs> <laughs> you went for... Well, you stayed in London after me to do a field readiness thing and then you were in Vegas doing Dev Intersections keynote with Steve Guggenheimer weren't you? Yeah that's right yeah so we did a after Angular Connect there was a internal like Europe thing where we brought a bunch of the uh, technical people from the the field and did uh, our own internal hackathon with some of the unified API and then after getting back went straight back out to Vegas Monday and did the the keynote with Googs at Dev Intersection. It was good. We had, you know, of an hour keynote, I'd say about 15 minutes of it were, was focused on Office. So I thought that was pretty neat. Nice. And uh, got to demonstrate some things around the Office graph and the unified API. Cool. That's awesome. Did you tell me you did something fun in Vegas, though, and didn't just work? Yeah, it was good. Um, the, the, the day after, we got to go do, like, one of those racing experience things. So got to go drive a an Audi R8, which was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. I didn't spring for like the, the high end car, but it was, it was enough car for me. Yeah. No joke. Well, I mean, it's a big, big lump in there. It's a heavy car. Did you feel it when you were driving it? It was that heavy? No, I didn't. I mean, it was, it, of, of all the cars there, it was one of the few that was all wheel drive. So, you know, it, it just yanked you out of curves. It was awesome. Yeah. And that's just on the oval up there in Vegas, right? Yep. Yep. I've done the muscle cars there, but you know, obviously they're not as powerful as the um, those big, what do they call them? Exotic cars. Yeah. But um, the R8 is definitely on my shopping list as an upgrade to my S5, that's for sure. Do it, man. Do it. And uh, maybe another pay grade. Don't be scared. Pay grade jump and then blow, blow out on an R8. Make it happen. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> so... Um, what are you, you're, you're coming up for the MVP Summit next week in Redmond? I am, yeah. Looking forward to it. Get to, get to see you know, the engineering and the MVPs in a friendly way, butt heads, and talk about you know lessons learned and some of the things that are going on, and uh, really anxious to get to see how all that goes. So, yeah. Yeah, that, this will be my second, second MVP Summit since I've been Microsoft and not MVP. And um, it's interesting because there's not many people in my position that have been on both sides of that like fence and so a lot of engineers ask me you know that they're sometimes they're pretty scared of the mvps and and what they're going to say and what questions they're going to ask and and i just you know try and encourage people to embrace it and you know people can take it quite personally i know i do sometimes um in in some cases and it's a case of you know you've got to take every bit of feedback and you know at the end of the day a lot of it is extremely valuable and can really help to improve our products out there in the field. So I always enjoy this. And I think, you know, people are learning the right ways to give constructive feedback. And I think a lot of the time it's great just to get both sides in the room and, and hear what the MVPs are doing with the technology. And we have a day on Thursday that Sonia is organizing actually after, like we have all these sessions with the MVPs where the MVPs will actually present back to us 
on like things that they've been doing and so engineering can actually see you know what's going on in the real world because really amazed me when i first came here when when engineers go like why why are they doing that like that's not what we want them to do with this stuff and it's like yeah but these guys are smart and they're going to work work out from whatever model we put in front of them ways to get done what they need to get done and um, and so that those sessions are always kind of the most interesting in my perspective is kind of the engineering not presenting to the MVPs, but actually asking questions based on the MVPs presenting to them. So that, that's always good fun on a Thursday. Yep. So um, this week has been a busy week, but I will just call out that Waldeck Mastercars is absolutely killing it. Out of the six links that we have, three of them are his blog posts. Yeah. So um, he he and AC, Andrew Connell, have been doing a fair amount of work on the Yeoman generator, which, you know, I kicked off as a pilot, and then they've kind of run ahead and done it. And uh, on the 23rd of October, the 0.4 version of the generator was released, which kind of added a bunch of really cool features, like the ability to have a Office add-in with Adel.js already wired up, as well as some really cool manifest.xml validation via a gulp task and um, the bunch of fixes and improvements into some of the questions that are going on. So that was the 0.4. And, but I have just noticed that Andrew today, so on the 28th of October, has just pushed out a 0.5 version, which has added TypeScript definitions f- to the generated projects uh, to go and grab Office JS, um, but also that there were some issues with the the TSD.json file being overwritten in existing projects. So there were some bugs that got raised as issues that have been been fixed there in some of the generators. So it's really exciting to see how quickly the community is getting behind that. We've had a fair amount of people watching it and starring it and forking that generator and. I can see now we're up to 444 downloads a month via NPM unique users, which is great. So it's, it's getting some momentum now. And obviously we saw that Angular Connect. So a big thank you to Andrew Connell and Waldeck for kind of leading the charge on that. And, you know, we're already always looking for more contributors. Uh, maybe you're interested in doing other languages or maybe just, you know, you, you want to do some open source work, but you're not sure what you want to do. There's a bunch of kind of like feature requests and enhancement requests in the issues page in that GitHub repo that you could just kind of nominate to pick up and do. And AC's already flagged them as um, help-wanted as well. So if you want to pick up one of those, it's a, a nice little project to get involved in as well. So um, yeah, the Yeoman Generator is definitely a great way of, on a Mac, PC, or even in a Ubuntu machine like we saw last week in London, be able to build the scaffolding you need to have a an office add-in running on your machine and debugging that either in a web browser or in the office client of your choice. So that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, if you haven't if you haven't looked at the Yeoman generator since it was originally released, definitely check out where we're up to now. Um, you know, it's new templates. You know, with the uh, obviously giving ADAL.js an, an optional. There's an optional uh, kind of question during the generator wizard that asks you if you want to include that. So that would give you the ability to maybe more easily connect into the Office 365 APIs from your add-in. And then the TypeScript definition stuff, depending on what you build in, you know, that'll help you with things like IntelliSense. Uh, some of us might have Office JS memorized all the different things you do, but uh, IntelliSense certainly makes that easier. And, and so the TypeScript definitions definitely help with that. So definitely check out 
you know what the the updates pull make sure you get an update of it and um go build some cool add-ins with it yeah and then he also blogged in in the same ilk as the adol azure active directory um authentication libraries he talked a little bit about admin consent and this using it with implicit auth flow one of the things we've talked about a lot in this show is the office 365 apis and how you can call into like mail calendar contacts files um the groups api the video portal you know and some new cool things that are coming out um in the future around tasks with the planner stuff that we announced that um in the next few days will actually start rolling out to us tenants uh, who I first released to flagged as well. Um, there is a scenario where when you hit that website, so say we hit smartsheets.com or do.com, that as a user, you have to consent to say, yes, I am uh, consenting that this application may, um, on my behalf, go and get my calendar information or uh, my inbox of emails or go and get my files from my OneDrive for business or access stuff within SharePoint. And what a lot of users or organizations want to be able to do is say, look, we want to consent on the behalf of all of our tenant users in in one click. And that's called that an admin consent. Now, the trick here is, is that not everyone can do an admin consent. It has to be the, um, the administrators of the Azure Active Directory instance that's assigned to that that tenant in office 365 and there is a kind of a, a different way of doing that via um, a flag that when you redirect to the uh, login for azure ad that you you kind of put this admin underscore consent as part of that flag H- have you done much with this rich like i know this has come up about four times with um partners building for the store in in the last week to be quite honest is it something that you've been working much with as well? Yeah, it's it's something that it is pretty common. And, and the main reason for that is, is you'll find that um, depending on the permissions, if you're the first, if you're just a normal user and you try to go use one of these connected service applications, if, if it's beyond the permissions that are uh, appropriate for you to consent for, you'll actually get a, a an error screen. When you try to consent, it'll say, sorry, we're having trouble signing you in. Um, and it's due to lack of permission. So you won't actually even be able to consent the app. Because ultimately, think about this is, you know, the, these are third-party applications. You know, we try to do our best to make sure that there's nothing malicious going on. But if someone did build a malicious application, I mean, the first person to use that is kind of they're kind of like the person that opens up that virus that's an attachment in their email. They're the person that's really introducing that into the network or into their organization. And so I really see this like any other kind of software selection decision that it's usually going to be information technology, you know, someone in the IT department that goes through and, and maybe tests this in a in a test domain um, and just make sure that it's something that they're comfortable with before actually kind of lighting up that flag and saying, okay, you can, you can do this now. So um, this, is, this is great that, that Waldeck has kind of walked through. He basically, what he did is, is kind of does a, a check up front. It goes and does a, a quick check to see if the user is an admin. And if so, give them that ability to introduce that for the entire organization so that any other user that then comes and uses it doesn't get stopped at a consent screen. Yeah, and, and he does a really good job as usual of kind of walking through the code that's required to do this as well. So um, again, thanks, Wadex, for doing that. 
And then lastly, um, he, the one he did was around um, two n- practical things that are about the new group files API. So for those of you that are using Office 365 groups, the way that um, Christoph and uh, Christoph Eisinger and also Mark Cashman who are kind of technical product managers in the SharePoint OneDrive team um, here, kind of, kind of sister team to us in the dev team. Um, he kind of talks about OneDrive for Business as being kind of my way of working and groups being the we way of working, so team way of working, and then team sites being we plus business process way of working. And so groups, we're already seeing actually internally, and I've been using a bunch for different initiatives I have where I'm running events or I've got initiatives for like tech ready which is an event here where i want to store documents that it doesn't really make sense for me to chuck those in a um in my own OneDrive for business it's easier if i put them in a files location somewhere and kind of manage membership to that whole group and have conversations around that particular initiative and so now with the groups api uh, right now in in beta in preview um, we can actually go away and get the files that live within that group. And um, Topoginski has built out that property manager hero demo that we have, which has a, a ton of training for Android and um, iOS that kind of walks through this in a lot more detail as well. But kind of uh, Waldex really identified the way that um, you can upload files to groups and what the endpoints are and um, how you go about doing that. So that's that's really cool that we kind of he's highlighted those things in the groups API as well. And then other people blogging at the moment, um, they're from Yuri Berger. He, he's actually an MCM in, in SharePoint from when the MCM program did exist. And um, he, he spoke recently at the SharePoint Saturday Oslo, in actual fact. But what he's built here is a PowerShell script that allows you to generate a, uh, a build number. Uh, well, sorry, Visual Studio Online will generate your build number uh, and then uh, essentially go grab the uh, the app manifest in that project location and stamp that as the version number in the um, in the XML there of the manifest file, which is pretty neat. So it's kind of stamping out your SharePoint add-ins uh, with that version number based on the build number, so that your add-in is always incrementally updating based on what the build is. So that was a pretty neat little thing you can go and just add as a PowerShell script into your project, check that into TFS, and then you know your build script then references that as a as a post build event to kind of compile that up, which is neat. Yeah, it's, you know we we still get tons of questions. We've been wanting to have Chris O'Brien on the show. Maybe when he's in town next week, we should yeah, we should just do a whole bunch of we recordings just, next week. Yeah, we should carve them out. A few of them are coming over for beers on Sunday, so maybe we um we do that over beers on the Sunday. Yeah, so I know I know Chris has done a lot around ALM and office add-ins, and this definitely kind of falls in that that arena. I'd be curious what sort of you know if if this is a, a technique that Chris has tried as well, and um, how that's how that's gone with some of the process he's helped champion. Yep. And then Vasa and the PMP guys have been busy as usual. Erwin Van Hoonen, um, who I had a good catch up with when I was in Munich a few weeks ago, uh, who, who's working at the the SBCAF guys. 
team with a bunch of other really smart people as well. Um, and they've done the, they're continuing their weekly webcast, um, where they're talking about an introduction of the developer patterns and practices PowerShell repo and all the PowerShell scripts that Erwin kind of had started more PowerShell commandlets, um, and, and how you can use those and what things are available. And what's really neat about those is that they're not necessarily just for developers. Uh, there's a lot of IT pros that would benefit from those PowerShell commandlets too. And and so that that's a really neat little open source community initiative that Owen has been kind of leading up the charge on, which is pretty cool. And there was one other thing for Invasa this week. Did, did you did you get a chance to have a look at what he put together there? Yeah, so I know Vesa is known for a number of things. He's a brilliant guy in the PNP world. And Vesa is also very popular in building... Pretty elaborate PowerPoint presentations. I don't know if you've ever gotten to see a presentation he puts together, but it he has he has some pretty impactful presentations and diagrams, and so basically put together uh, some graphic presentations around PNP and some of the you know popular scenarios around external sharing, user profile sync, provisioning, different things like that. So they um, there's a, a good post about this where they go through some of the PNP models and. Um, you know, if it's something that you're you're kind of bought into some of these patterns and you're wanting to maybe get them implemented in your organization, this would certainly help in terms of your documentation around it and maybe even, you know, pitching it to maybe the in terms of like an architecture council or whatnot. Uh, so um, really cool that they've put some of this together and made it uh, shared out to the community. Yeah, that's awesome. And then one other quick shout out, I do get a lot of GitHub notifications as being one of the organizational owners of um, Office Dev. And um, we have a bunch of these unified API connect samples um, that you can go and get from Office Dev. And so if you go to the, the fine capability of GitHub dot com slash office dev you'll see that we have like a ruby one and node.js php android aspen.mvc an angular one ios one uh, windows 10 one a python one and um, there's been some updates in the last few days um, to um, essentially all pretty much all of those samples so if you're interested in kind of using the unified api graph.microsoft.com Using any of those languages I've mentioned, these are a really good starting blocks to kind of get started understanding um, how you can go and call those things there as well. So um, definitely worth checking those things out. It kind of does all the Azure AD, Auth, Starth. In, in the cases of things like Ruby, it's using gems and um, and and how you would you know typically expect these things to work in a in a in a, in a Ruby type world or a Python or a PHP world. So definitely go and check those samples out as well. Cool. So um. We've got a really cool guest on the show this week, and I, I don't think we did a very good job at the beginning of the interview in London of introducing who Bradley is. So, Bradley's from Google. He is the um, engineer head behind AngularJS and was the one that kind of led the charge on um, AngularJS internally at Google and really pushed that um, this be built from an open source world directly. And he's been extremely supportive of our hackathons, both at ng-conf and Angular Connect in London the other week. And it was great to get him on the show and, and talk you know, specifically around Angular and um, the journey they've been on between one, two, and um, just genuine all-around nice guy. And um, it was really nice to see that there is no issue with that happening from a Google stroke Microsoft you know, relationship perspective as well, which was really neat. Yeah, it was really cool, I think, to... You know, he didn't just 
give us like five minutes. He sat down with us for a good hour and, and chatted. And, you know, I thought that was, you know, really cool of him and speaks to how much he truly cares about that framework and, you know, it being, it truly being open for, you know, just about anyone to go and leverage and, and promote. So I thought it was awesome. Yeah. So it's a really good show. And um, I, again, I just really, really appreciate the support that we're getting from the Angular team with everything we're doing. Um, the Yeoman generator is something that, you know, that they love and they can see the value with their community in building office add-ins there as well. So it was really cool to kind of get that time last week and get the mentions in the keynote as well. So big thanks to Bradley and the rest of the team, Julie, Julie Kramer, for um, kind of making that happen last week. And I hope you enjoy the interview. Okay, so we're here in London at the Angular Connect conference with Rich, who we've been traveling for a while, and um, Brad from Google. So uh, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's a real honor to have someone from Google actually come on the show and talk about what you've been working on for us uh, for in the web world, which is super relevant for us uh, from attendees that come to this show, but also to our listeners on the Office 365 Developer Podcast as well. So, Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate you carving out some time for this. I, I know you're a busy man. I, I saw uh, Jaws Kramer running around trying to find you earlier on between uh, meetings. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm sure that will become a regular occurrence now. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how long have you been at Google for? I've been at Google about nine years now. Okay. And Angular didn't start until about six years ago. But it's yeah. been quite a while. And so what, what brought you into the Angular fold? What were you doing before then that led into working on this framework? Um, so I've worked on a bunch of big projects at Google, Gmail, Calendar, Docs. And, you know, Mishko had been with me during that time. We'd just seen a bunch of the problems that people ran into where, like, not for anyone's fault, but there just wasn't any good infrastructure to support writing apps without a lot of boilerplate and in a way that was easily testable. And we thought maybe we could do something better by making a framework that made that possible from the start. We're by airport, in case you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're and hoping it doesn't hit us. That's yeah. right. It was pretty low. <laughs> and so prior to that, like, what kind of technologies was Google? Was it every team had their flavor of the month? And it, just yeah, a little bit. I mean, we had, we had libraries, like the Clojure library, which is kind of equivalent to jQuery. Right. But nothing that gave structural hints or removed work. It just kind of gave a leg up on the sort of bad DOM APIs. Right. And, and was it, I mean, obviously we experienced the same things in Microsoft. I've, I've not been there as long as Rich has, but you find with engineering teams that this kind of happens through one team kind of grabbing it by the horns and running with it, and then other teams hear about it and want to get involved. Yeah. Is that, is it, was it organic in It, it was. Uh, you mean across all the teams? Yeah, yeah, they all had their own flavor of how to make things a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure. And so at what time did you think that it would be something that would be open sourced and, and shared publicly rather than just being an internal framework that, that your products could use? You know, I think this was Mishko's idea that we would just start it as an open source project because right. at, you know, Google, we had had some projects that were open source, but it was kind of an afterthought yeah. where you know, we'd been building it for a while internally and then there was kind of no good way to include the community, but we actually wanted to have it be of the people, of everyone, even though we were leading a bunch of it, we wanted it to be inclusive and it's, it's worked out real well. And, and I kind of admire what you've done with the open source with uh, the members that are external and how you've kind of made them part of the team, mm -hmm. like this virtual team. Yeah. Was that something, again, where you saw their commits and their pull requests and realized, well, these guys are contributing so much that we'll bring them into the fold in a much more yeah, detail Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's actually how we've hired a lot of the folks on the team to date. Because so, like, right. it's, it's really hard to know, you know, do our people 
great contributors and do, do we kind of agree on the way things should go? But this external contribution model has been a really good way just to get to know people a little bit at a time. So uh, kind of going back to getting started, um, did, was this kind of uh, an effort of we need to look at this more holistically at Google and maybe have a better framework for it? Or was this more pointed like, hey, we have a, we have a project that we need to go and execute against and hey, I think what we built here is pretty good. Maybe this could be useful to other teams. Like kind of how did that start? Yeah, it was certainly not top down. It was, Mishko had been playing with some toys on the side, trying to learn JavaScript. You know, he'd been a big Java developer as, as had I to date. And then he came in kind of disgusted with how hard it was to do his work. And he said, I think I can, re so we'd been working on a project for about six months. And he says, I think I can write in about two weeks in this little project that I have on the side. <laughs> And I said, yeah, okay, everybody's sad. Go ahead, try. Uh, and it took him three weeks, but it, it looked pretty good. And that's how it started. All right. And so with the way that the community has gone, I mean, it seems to have been something that you've encouraged as a, an internal group, but it's kind of had its own legs as well. You know, there's sure. 1,100 people here. There was yeah. seven or 800 at NGConf in Salt Lake recently. Yeah, there's like how, 400 meetups or more. Right, worldwide. so yeah. how, did, how do you guys keep up with that aspect? Because obviously that's going to just scale and grow even more with the community side. Yeah, yeah, it is hard. I think, you know, one of the, so when Igor joined the team, he actually really is the one who started the community. And it was a lot of work to begin with, like tremendous amount. I think like there was so much time was spent on the mailing lists and on Stack Overflow and just, you know, answering questions and bootstrapping this process. But after a certain point, it became where there were enough community leaders that they could carry it forward. Yeah. And all of the conferences we do, none of them, thank goodness, Google, pay, we don't pay for any of them. They're all community-led, community-sponsored, and uh, you know, as are the meetups. And it's because people love it and they value it. So that's the best kind. And I mean, in the keynote yesterday, you talked about other frameworks that's supporting Angular. And mm -hmm. in most cases, is that them approaching you and going, look, we want to integrate with Angular and move forward? Or are there strategic things that you, you guys look, go and reach and sort after to help grow or gr like lock in engagement in, in certain areas that you're targeting? Yeah, I think like, we're not good at stuff. Uh, we, <laughs> we, like, you know, our relationship with the TypeScript team happened kind of very casually at first to, you know, when Mishko said, hey, I'm gonna write this extension of JavaScript called AtScript. And the TypeScript guys were like, oh, hey, what are you doing? That looks interesting. And it, it kind of evolved to, hey, maybe we could build the same thing and just have it all be in TypeScript. Yeah. And there'll only be one sort of typed language extension of JavaScript. And that's also been a very good, very good friendship we've grown. Yeah, I think it's been incredible to see like these worlds kind of collide and work, work together on ng-conf with um, the TypeScript announcements that really blew people away. And mm -hmm. we kind of rode, our team rode the coattails there and mm -hmm. having the hackathon at that event and everyone's really kind of amazed by the fact that Microsoft are so involved in this. Yeah. Um, and this time around, there's a bunch of other vendors that you've kind of brought on and, mm -hmm. and have that support. And it's pretty incredible to see um, that uptick in terms of usage. Yeah. And um, you showed that slide. So in your eyes with the growth, how have you been measuring usage per se? And are there, are there certain verticals or splits of audiences you look for to see, like how you measure success in adoption and usage of Angular? Yeah, I, so, I mean, in, in, a, in a big way, you know, I don't make any money off Angular. We, we do this as an open source project to improve the quality of the Angular code base because with so many more contributors and so many more examples of ways that uh, we want to build applications, it becomes a much more rich and robust framework. 
And so, you know, we do these conferences for the same way, for the same reason. And so growth, we just measure by how many people are actually getting value out of it. And two ways, one, Jewel showed the slide with number of sites on the interweb that use Angular. And then we also measure like how many people are coming to our doc site. Yeah. And you know, those are two good sources of, hey, I'm using it today and the number of sites is I found value and I actually shipped it. Yeah. And so I noticed that you had like Angular.org as in Angular 1 and yeah. Angular.io for Angular 2. Yeah. And that was quite incredible with 7%, even though really it's not. We've been trying hard to tell people not to use Angular 2, but much <laughs> to our chagrin, people are actually shipping software on it. And not that it's bad, because as I mentioned in the keynote, we have big teams at Google already using it. But we, we really want, and it's fine, it's, it's totally fine, but we, yeah. we did want to send a strong signal to, hey, look, we're not done with the documentation, and the APIs might change, and so go for it if you're willing to take on that level of stability, because um, like we know it works. It's it's worked on some of our big apps for a long time. But depending on your level of tolerance, you might want to wait. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I think the like the, the guidance though in terms of if you're if you're building with Angular one, here are some patterns that are going to make it easier to move to Angular two. I mean that, that yeah. those are challenges that we deal with all the time. It's yeah. neat that you guys are already kind of ahead of that. Okay, good. Yeah, I think and we, we've started to formalize some of this because you know in angular 1.5 we have this nice component syntax that closely mirrors what you can do in angular 2 and there's even a, a further reaching project called ng forward that allows you to mimic a lot of the angular 2 syntax style in angular 1. and that's so, a community led one, it is community led yeah. yeah there's members from many different organizations and they some of them already had projects like this and they've decided, hey, let's work together on a single way to do it. So we don't have a whole bunch of different um, flowers growing. We've got one central way. And with the kind of the where you were building out to, I mean, you, you had to make some choices on, I guess, the ease of transitioning from a one framework to the two in your mm -hmm. code. Mm -hmm. Were there, I mean, was it intentional that you made, it seems very streamlined in terms of the code looking very similar mm -hmm. and the transitional swap will be a lot easier than some other technologies where there's been this huge re-architectural change. Yeah. Was that something that you you feel like you had to do or was it as you were designing to, you, you know, that was, an, that was something you considered afterwards to make sure you had the correct so, so yeah, so we really wanted to start thinking about, you know, what kind of architecture would really take us forward a long ways and, and then think about the upgrade path. And I think like maybe we made a mistake because we, we totally told everybody we were doing this, yeah. like not like a regular product team, but like a completely open, open source team. And I think it panicked a lot of folks, which, and I get it. Now, now that I think about it in hindsight, <laughs> uh, like they didn't know, maybe we'd evaporate by the time we got around to doing the upgrade and, and who knows. So, you know, I don't know what I do again. I, I don't, the architectural changes we've made, I'm super excited about because I think it gives us full headroom into the future. It looks a lot more like a desktop or a phone windowing an operating system now where you know we can have multiple languages, we have multiple threading support with web workers, we can render multiple template styles and then to multiple rendering targets. And so we can plug and play with the middle and we can change out these other bits around the outside without having to go to say Angular 3. Right, right. So it's a lot more modular in terms of being able to do those improvements? Yeah, that we're totally to decoupled and we have we can innovate along any of these axes. Where in Angular 1, it was all very tightly coupled together. And we, we were just limited in how much how much further could we push the platform. 
And so in the enterprise space where I guess traditionally our team works with the developers that we kind of talk to um, with kind of the history of Office, how have you seen the adoption for you guys in that space from Angular uh, as opposed to kind of public-facing websites? Uh, you know, are you seeing that kind of build up in these they're, large companies? They're both super strong. I mean, I think you know, we, we see websites built, of course, by Google and Apple and eBay and like a lot of the airlines, United and Virgin America and Ryanair and JetBlue and retailers like Walmart and Amazon. So, but there's, there's as strong an internal app space um, and this was kind of where we originally thought Angular was going to be really effective, is building these sort of big forms-based mission-critical apps. And so we, we've actually formed some groups where we can introduce enterprises to each other and they can help each other solve, they can collaborate on these problems. So it was where, whereas we on the outside uh, in the open source world have been collaborating for a long time, I think this is new for enterprises. And we're, we're really excited about helping them move forward in the way that they do their IT business to be more collaborative across the industry. Do you, I mean, is, uh, that's a little bit harder to, to be able to measure. I mean, even for some of the things we do around add-ins, there's some telemetry, but obviously if something is deployed internally behind a firewall, yeah. um, it, it's a little bit harder to figure out unless maybe they're referencing, you know, Angular off on a CDN or something like that. Yeah. Is that is it, is it, do you find it harder to, to measure what's going on in, in that enterprise space? Yeah, I think it is almost impossible to measure that because I don't think any of those enterprises want to give us telemetry data. And I think with our, we're, we're going to come up with, a, we're, in the keynote we showed off a command line interface. And we will allow people to opt in if they want to contribute anonymous data, but it won't tell us that it was an enterprise versus a uh, public-facing website install. I see. But I think just through conversation and maybe through the number of people who join our enterprise communities is a way we can take a look at it. We, we have this concept at Microsoft of organizations being um, like an independent software vendor that's actually building software possibly to sell or offer out to customers, and then there are you know, just maybe organizations that just use software. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, when we, when we kind of, uh, you know, evaluate the two there, we treat them very differently in a lot of ways and, and they get different kind of love. Um, when you have a conference like this, do you guys have a feeling for, of the attendees, who's coming that would maybe be in that enterprise space and say, hey, we're just, we just need software in our organization versus that ISV side that's, hey, I'm coming because I want to actually build something and sell to customers. You know, I think we don't track that very well to date. Yeah. Uh, and again, because this is not something where we make money, it hasn't been critical, and we are really looking mostly at just how many people are getting value out of it. I think the, the other thing that's amazing, and the people that can come out to our booth, and I guess that's a bit of a, a biased loop of the attendees here, but a lot of them seem to be kind of, they were in the Microsoft space, they were a .NET developer. A few years ago, web got very big. They got pushed to the client side because people wanted responsive websites that just reacted well. Um, and so they moved from being kind of like C-sharp .NET developers to JavaScript framework, and it seemed like the timing was perfect in terms of that adoption of Angular, and yeah. so it was quite surprising to be in a Microsoft, either current Microsoft devs that are kind of integrating both, or people have just completely flipped over to just being, I'm an Angular developer now, and mm -hmm. kind of owning that that kind of symbol as the way they go out there to market for their careers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we, we are trying to help with that, like thinking about big teams and how do you work, and you know, we're thinking a lot about application structure. This is one of the reasons why we are excited about TypeScript, because if I'm working 
by myself or on a small team, it's okay if I don't have types, but for big teams where you know, I just need to know what type that function returns, right? or I need to be able to get to the documentation, or I can need to be able to do big refactorings quickly. It's, it's incredibly hard in pure JavaScript, whereas with some types, IDs can do a lot more of the heavy lifting for me. I mean, the other thing that we do, I think that a lot of frameworks don't, is we really pay attention a lot to the full picture. And so, you know, we've tackled topics, not just the core rendering framework, but also other bits like testing, both unit tests and end-to-end -end tests. And so we build products like Karma and Protractor. We invest in accessibility, internationalization, animation, like many of the different aspects. Um, and so I think, you know, for people who are coming from like a, a C-sharp background where they have the full suite of, you know, Microsoft support, you know, I'm hoping they'll be comfortable seeing mm -hmm. all the things that they can, they can do here and not have to invent it for themselves. And for those that maybe haven't watched the keynotes, but they're using Angular 1 right now, I mean, you've been very clear on your guidance right now between when to use 1 and when to use 2. How would you summarize that very quickly for someone on the show that's kind of maybe getting engaged in using Angular and whether they're going to pick 2 or 1 like yeah. right now, line in the sand? Yeah. Previously, at every show before this, we had said, you should use Angular 1. It's yeah. not ready in Angular 2. And so now I'm more on, like, maybe make a decision based on when you're going to ship. Yeah. Uh, because we, we do have a fairly complete set of documentation, and we know that it works because we have big teams running on it. And some of our big teams are actually planning on shipping in the first quarter of the year. And so if you're planning on shipping maybe Q2, Q3 next year, those would be interesting signals to say, well, maybe I should start considering Angular 2 versus Angular 1. Right. But even if they're on one, like with all the stuff that you've talked about this week around kind of making the code look more like two, so it's easier to transitional, yeah. there are a few decisions that have to be made. That's Where's right. the best resource? Where's the best guidance to kind of, you know, don't do this approach, do that approach? Because I noticed a few things where I've built Angular in the past when I first learned it two years ago, yeah. ways I would have done things, you know, wouldn't be easily to transfer. But if I was writing from scratch now and That's I knew right. about this other technique, yeah. it would be a lot easier to transfer. Well, I think you're coming to that it actually it's fine if you keep writing Angular 1 right now. Yeah, yeah. And we have enough guidance out there about, look, here's Angular 1.5 that has the new component style as the way you can write your, your widgets and other bits that can help you align with Angular 2 syntax. The, the, actually, the hard part about it, however, is going to be doing the semantic translation to the way that apps work. So in Angular 1, you have, um, you have all these features with a dollar sign in front of them. And these basically all go away in Angular 2, except dollar sign HTTP, and it's used for a different reason. But for things like dollar sign apply, you just no longer need it, so that's not too hard. But for dollar sign watch, this is something where you have to translate the way you do it into some of the different paradigms in Angular 2. And we've made the shift for performance and debuggability reasons, but it is a, a bit of a restructuring of your code. Okay. And I think, you know, it was great to have uh, you and Igor as judges on the Hackathon yesterday. I appreciate you coming down and watching the oh, it's great kickoff fun. yesterday. Yeah. So what, what were your impressions on what you saw? I'm not sure whether you've seen the, the Office add-ins and the APIs before. Like, were you aware that people were building these things already with the Angular framework in our Office clients? Yeah, I had no idea that okay. you could put an Angular app inside the Office client. Yeah. I, it's incredibly powerful. I mean, the, the tool that we saw and we demoed at the keynote was, hey, if I get a GitHub link, 
then we could actually expand some of the information from GitHub right there in the email. Seems incredibly powerful. Yeah. Rather than me having to go to GitHub, leave the window, I can actually maybe triage what's going on in my GitHub link there. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you having that carved out section in the keynote because it really did like make it aware for a lot of people in the room. Like they saw the t-shirts in the morning, like, uh-huh. yo, office, wait, you have a yeoman generator? <laughs> Why are you here? Yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> in the keynote, they're like, ah, oh, now we Yeah, that. okay, yeah. No, um, it's very cool stuff. So, um, and so we had three really good submissions. There were seven teams in total there last night, but I think a few of them started to fade <laughs> right near the end. Um, and a lot of them wanted to go to the sessions this morning, which, you know, there were some really good sessions this morning as yeah. well. But um, the three submissions, what were your thoughts on, on those? There was, uh, well, so one was, was very appropriately back to the future themed. But yes. Maybe they actually uh, took off a little early, but very, very good job on the theming. Yeah. Um, the other two I thought were actually really useful. I would actually use these two. So the one that did the word to markdown conversion, I, I mean, I think they actually did a ton of work and this is something super useful that I would actually use. Uh, Word's a nice place to compose, and then then I can, after having used all the editing and spell checking tools there, then I can output it for my site. Nice part of a sort of content management path. The other one that allows me to mark or, or to unsubscribe from emails, I thought it was really nice that they, it seemed they thought about the workflow a lot. Yeah. Bringing all of the possibly spammy emails together in one place that I could unsubscribe from and allow me to do that task all at once, that, that was super nice. Yeah, no, we don't get enough of that, right? There's so many emails that we get, <laughs> yeah. get sent and people get hold of your mail address and subscribe you and different things. Yeah, well, I just, I love that they, they actually thought of me as a user, like not just technologically good example of what you can do, but yeah. hey, a good maybe UX flow example as well. Yeah, I was pretty amazed with the team that built the word to Markdown, they actually had um, unit tests and they'd all uh-huh. like continuous integration yeah, yeah, builds. Yeah. And they had a, a computer, yeah, CI right. all set so up. I was that was, that's pretty impressive for a hack to have all that kind of going from scratch. Yeah, but things getting better. Yeah. I, I think in general, what impressed me about this conference was kind of the caliber of developers that we had here. Yeah. You know, there was people, a lot of times we have to go to these things and, and bribe developers I and mean, that's why <laughs> we bring prizes, but there were several teams that participated last night just out of interest. Like, I don't, I'm not even going to submit to like try to win a prize. Yeah. I just want to learn about this and see how I can use yeah. my my Angular skills to maybe hit the 1.2 billion Office users around the world. And I thought that was pretty awesome. So um, yeah, so that was really exciting to see that. So uh, obviously we got the wrap up session in a minute where we actually announced the winners. So mm-hmm. on the next show we'll uh, we'll talk a bit more about that. And, and what their reactions were. But um, what's your next movements now? Like this show is about to wrap up. Are you, yeah. do, are you on the road a lot or are you kind of more focused with your engineering team back in California? Yeah, I spend a lot of time with my green tea team and I'll be hanging out with them. I, like, I go to our Shanghai office to work with those folks as well. I'll be doing that in November. But I think you know, the next thing you'll see from the Angular team are you know, finishing our documentation, fixing a bunch of bugs, but doing a bunch of blog posts based on the talks that we gave here, just to make a lot of the things that we presented really easy to come back to. And then we'll have a place to go update the information if we, uh, at, you know, as we evolve some of the concepts, we'll be able to keep people up to date on this. Hard to go back and update videos. And where would that, yeah. where would that blogging, where would people find that? Yeah, it'll be on blog.angularjs.org. Cool. And how do you do your, like how close are your documentation teams with the engineering teams? Are they one, they sit, so oh, that's a good question. What, yeah. So what's for, your process for, the, for, that? for the API docs, this is all written by the core team because like no one else can really do it. For the for the concept docs, we call the dev guides. We had we, you know Igor and I sat down and we outlined what we thought we should get 
or what, the, what should be in there. And we actually outlined each of the section docs a bit. And then we started working with folks in the community. A lot of our Google developer experts have been really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. And then just other folks like Pascal Precht from ThoughtRam, people who can really explain concepts well, we've brought in to help do a fantastic job on the, on the docs. Excellent. Well, look, thanks very much for your time. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate your openness with the questions and answers here. And sure. um, I've really enjoyed the keynote. And again, thanks for including us in, in part of the show. Thanks for coming, guys. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash Office 365 Dev Podcast Jam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. Get coding.